You're listening to Raw and Real, a podcast for everyone dealing with loss. Join your host, Linda Piazza, as she and her guests share their experiences, knowledge, and heart when dealing with the tough topics of loss along life's journey. Our goal, whether you're dealing with a loss of a relationship, loss of health, loss of life, or loss of self, is to invite you to the table for our weekly conversation and provide some comfort in knowing that you're not alone in your grief. Now, here's your host, Linda Piazza. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Raw and Real Podcast. I'm your host, Linda Piazza, and we are going to continue our conversation about the seven stages of grief. This week, we're going to be talking about depression. Depression is very paralyzing. Depression is debilitating. Depression is probably one of the most, if not the most difficult stage of grief that you will deal with in this process. Depression takes the joy out of life. Depression makes you not want to live. And I'm not saying on a suicidal sense, I'm just saying you just don't have the energy or the mental ability to enjoy anything in life or even really want to get out of bed in the morning. So this is an extremely difficult topic and a very important topic that we need to talk about today so that you either one can identify with what you're going through and identify it as depression or two, if you find yourself in a very, very dark place, very deep place, very paralyzing place, you seek to get help. We're glad you're here. Thanks for joining us. Okay, so, so far, we have discussed shock and denial, pain and guilt, anger and bargaining, and now we are on depression, reflection and loneliness. Depression, loneliness, reflection of what's happened all kind of fit in together. And depression is real important because this is the part of grief that can really get you stuck and put you in a really bad place that can take you an extremely long time to get out of. Depression is normal and it's natural and it's something you're going to experience regardless. However, we wanna make sure that you do that and stay safe and stay healthy, which is kind of an oxymoron in a sense because anytime you're depressed and you're lonely and you're going through a really difficult time, you're in a very vulnerable place that can make it kind of dangerous for you because sometimes some people go through that and they are not able to recover on their own. So they need some help. They need therapy. They need some group sessions and things along those lines. If you are in that situation and your depression is not lasting for an extremely long time, then I would suggest you do more than listen to this podcast and you seek some help because you don't want to stay there for a year or two or three. It's not good and it's not healthy. So I would like to talk about the depression today and about loneliness so that you know, again, you're not alone. These are natural, normal feelings. What does depression look like? What does loneliness look like? How do you decipher between that 
in some other kind of emotion or feeling. There are other emotions that may confuse you on depression or loneliness. You might be sad one day. You may not be perky. That doesn't mean you're depressed. But when it's something that kind of sticks with you and it's dark and it's heavy, that's more of what depression is. So that's what we're going to talk about today. And we are going to really dive deep into it. And I think that this is, like all the rest of them, extremely important. But depression is something, like I said, that can get us into a really scary place. It can take us a long time to get out of. So I really think the conversation today is necessary and I hope it helps you. Okay, so what are some of the things that cause depression? Obviously, the loss of a loved one, a breakup of a relationship, a divorce, loss of a job, that just many things that happen in your life that is centered around loss can create depression. The other day I was going through a book and I read this little poem that I thought was pretty fitting. It says, I never knew it could hurt so much. I never knew so many strong feelings would churn inside me. I'm overwhelmed, I'm confused, I'm angry, I'm lonely, I'm hurting. Part of my heart has been ripped away. How will I survive this? How long will it hurt? God, how long will it hurt? When I read that, I totally thought about what we're going to be discussing today and thought about depression because hurting and loneliness causes depression. Well, being overwhelmed and confused, not so much. I think being overwhelmed and confused comes with the stages of grief that we talked about a couple of weeks ago, which was the denial part of it. And this is a little heavier. Depression's a little heavier than the denial. I honestly think denial is a protective emotion that helps us make it through what we need to. So what are some of the things that cause depression besides the sadness and that overwhelming emotion that just kind of takes over your body? I mean, if any of you have ever been depressed before, whether it's a light depression or a severe depression, you know what the difference is and you know how you feel physically and emotionally when you're in a really bad place there are mornings you just don't want to get out of bed you don't know what the purpose is of getting up and getting out of bed you don't have the energy to get up and out of bed you don't have the reason you don't have the mindset to say yay it's another day you just want to pull the covers over your head and say, I'm done, I can't do this anymore. Some of the things that cause that is despair and loneliness. Loneliness causes a ton of depression. And loneliness for many people is incredibly difficult. And during a time of grief and during a time of loss, it's even harder. Not only is your loved one gone or the person that you no longer have, but it results in changes in your life situation and it can affect your relationships with the family members and your friends. So when you're experiencing this, 
and things start changing for you, it becomes increasingly harder to deal with. And I say that because a lot of times people are not familiar with who you are in a sad or depressed state. And so when that happens and they're not familiar with who you are in a sad or depressed state, then you become very lonely because you end up finding yourself dealing with this all alone. There is, I I believe that there are different levels of depression. There are different levels of everything. However, when you don't have anybody to help you through your grief, you don't have anybody to say, come home to, it brings this all to another level. So the person who is married and they lost their spouse, they wake up in the morning to an empty bed. They sit at the kitchen table to an empty chair with an empty cup of coffee. They go about their day completely alone without that other person who was a big part of their life every single day of their life. For me, I remember coming home after my mom passed away and it was hard. It was hard. I remember helping my dad with all of the legal stuff because there's a lot of legal stuff after someone dies, which is something we probably will go over. And maybe I'll have an attorney on a podcast with us to help you understand the process of what needs to be done after somebody passes away. But I remember I've got a big family and I left New York. I left all of my brothers and sisters. I left my dad and I got on a plane by myself. And I remember going through the airport. I don't remember a lot because I was in a very zombie state. But I remember going through the airport and going to Starbucks for coffee. And I can barely talk. And the tears just are coming down my cheeks. There wasn't any like (gasps) kind of crying. It was just such a sadness. And I remember ordering a cup of coffee and the poor barista on the other side just kind of looked at me. And you can tell in his eyes that he got it and he had empathy. I ordered a tall hand and giving me a grande. He probably needed to feel like he was helping me in some way. And also, I'm sure if he had some kind of alcohol behind the counter, he had to put it in there because he just, I, I just, probably put him in an uncomfortable place, but I had no control over my emotions. The emptiness and the loneliness and the depression and the sadness that came over me as I walked through that airport, heading back home to to Houston, knowing that my mom was gone was devastating. It was devastating. And when I got home, it was devastating. This was a flight that I have taken many, 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 many times. My mom had been sick a lot. I flew home to New York and then I flew back to Texas and then fly to New York and then I fly back to Texas. And every time I flew back to Texas, she was around. And now I flew back to Texas and she wasn't. 
flew back to Texas and she was gone. And that was tough. That was tough. And knowing I was coming home alone was hard, harder, much harder. My 16-year-old son was here at the time, so that made it bearable and helped having at least him here. The house wasn't as empty as it was when I came back for my dad. When I came home after my dad died, nobody was here. I came home to an empty house. I now had no parents. And all my kids were out of the house. And it was a different level of loneliness. It was a different level of depression, a different level of sadness. So there are multiple things that are going to happen through the course of you dealing with your loss that either can be unexplainable or brings your situation to a different place. And I think loneliness is one of those things that happens and it's because of circumstances around us. So one, we miss the person who's, who's died. Two, we miss the conversations with the person that's died. And then the empty house has this stabbing silence and emptiness that just pierces through you. For the person who was married, again, you have that empty bed. When somebody passes away and you've got some great news and something exciting happening, and this could be immediate or this could be even five years from now, most of the time or many times, there's something great that's happened and you go to pick up the phone to call that person to say, hey, guess what? My daughter's pregnant. Hey, guess what? My son graduated from college. Hey, guess what? My daughter's getting married. All of those great, wonderful, fun, exciting things. You don't have that person to share them with anymore. And the reality of that hits you over and over and over again, year after year after year after year. It doesn't ever go away. It's not as heavy. And it's not as hard, but it hits you. It's ebbs and flows. It's like the waves of the ocean. In the very beginning, it's heavy. In the very beginning, it's dark. In the very beginning, it's painful. I mean, literally, physically painful. The good news is it stops. At some point, it will stop. Grief can take you anywhere from four months of four years. Again, there isn't a timeline on how long you should grieve or how long it takes you to get back to life after you've lost somebody significant. So don't push yourself. Make sure you go through all of the stages and don't take one stage and try to avoid it because that's only going to keep you stuck in your grief. Loneliness also comes in, which sets in depression, because friends withdraw from us. Friends don't know what to say. They're uncomfortable around us, and they disappear. 
in the beginning when somebody dies, you've got hundreds of people around you. You get the phone call, they're gone, and it gets out to the public within 24 hours. Now with Facebook, goodness gracious, it gets out a whole lot faster. And the phone rings and the text messages go off and the door's ringing and people are around and they're bringing you food and they're talking and they're there and they're comforting and they're doing everything for you which is amazing and wonderful. And you kind of sit back and you look around and you are in awe of the support that you have. But I'm sorry to say that support is limited. That support is fleeting and it only lasts for about a week. Every once in a while, you got some really good, some really true friends that will see through it for the long haul. But most of the time, people avoid you because they don't want to be around somebody sad. They don't want to be pulled down. I mean, one of the things right now that is just fabulously famous is surround yourself with like-minded people. Surround yourself with happy people. Surround yourself with successful people. And I'm not saying not to do that. But you don't ditch a friend because they're in a bad place and you don't want them to steal your joy because you don't want to be around sadness and so you just drop them like a hot potato and let me tell you something that's happened to me that has happened to me and makes me a little angry makes me a little bitter makes me a little resentful because you're my friend or you're not and when i'm in a difficult time, I expect you to be there as much as I expect you to be there when we're having fun. But that doesn't happen. When it's unfamiliar, people disappear. So when that happens, you find yourself even lonelier and even more depressed, more sad because you don't have anybody to help you through it. Nobody understands. A lot of people don't understand until they've been there themselves. And then once they're there themselves, they have a very different attitude, a very different outlook, a very different feel. I've had some people come to me and apologize and say, until this happened to me, I had no idea what you were going through. I'm so sorry I wasn't there for you. And I find for me and myself, I have a tendency to really be there for them because I know one, what they're dealing with. I don't, I try not to hold on to that stuff. It doesn't serve me well. And sometimes ignorance is why people aren't there for you and why it becomes really hard. The other reason that this happens is we withdraw from people. And I think that we withdraw ourselves because we feel uncomfortable. We feel like we don't want to bring the party down. We feel like we are doom and gloom and nobody wants to be around us. It's our own mind telling us that that prevents us from continuing our relationships. A lot of times when somebody's sad, when somebody's depressed, when somebody is going through a really bad time, a lot of times they do it themselves because they don't know how to reach out. 
because they don't want to be a burden because they don't want to seem like they're out of control and they certainly don't want to be vulnerable. And in order for you to ask for help or show yourself or other people really what you've got going on, you have to be vulnerable and that everybody is willing and comfortable being vulnerable. I know for myself, when Nina died 17 years ago, one of the things that I did is I withdrew. I did. I pushed people away. I got people telling me that from time to time that I changed after she died. Yeah, I did. I did. It was a huge shock and it was a huge hit and it was a very difficult time. I had gotten myself into a situation, not on purpose, obviously, but every two years, someone close to me died of cancer. Nina in 2003, Ruby in 2005, Ada in 2007. My mom got sick in 2009 and died the beginning of 2010. Holy mother of God. I didn't want to get close to anybody else. I wanted everybody at arm's length. The pain was too much. The sadness was too much. The depression was too much. I felt like if I stayed away from people and I wasn't close to anybody anymore besides my kids and my family, then I wouldn't hurt anymore. I wouldn't have to go through this again. So I pushed people away. I withdrew out of fear of constantly being sad and depressed and losing somebody else that I was close to. I've had people say to me, friends say to me, we can't talk to you anymore because I've lost people every two years. And their comments were, you're bad luck. We're friends with you. Two years from now, we don't know if we're going to be here. They didn't say that, but they insinuated that. That was, that was a tough pill to swallow. That hurt my heart. I understood kind of, sort of, and I think actually they were joking, but to somebody who has had consistent loss every two years like that, kind of not funny. I didn't find a lot of humor in it. I passed it off because that's what I do. If somebody said that to me now, I'd probably respond to them. Don't know how I would respond to them because sometimes I'm not the nicest, but I would definitely respond to them. But withdrawing because you don't want to get close to another person or you don't want somebody to see you weak and vulnerable. You don't want somebody to see you in a bad place. It's part of what we do and it's part of the loneliness and it's part of the depression. It's part of the despair, the sadness. It's part of all of it. You're not good company and you know it. And so because you're not good company, you stay away. I'm here to tell you, if your friends are good friends, your friends know you, they're going to love you, and they're going to accept you, and they're going to support you through all of it. They're not going to walk away. They're not going to come into your life only when it's good and leave when it's bad. Your real friends, your true friends are going to be there for you all of the time, accepting you unconditionally, 100% warts and all. 
So I am fortunate that I have had a few of those friends that regardless, they were here, especially when my mom died, especially when my mom died. They sat here with me in the dark. They didn't eat for 10 hours because I was in such a dark place. I didn't even realize I didn't offer them anything. I just sat on the couch and I cried. It's all I could do. I didn't leave my house. My mom died in April. I didn't leave my house till July. And if I went into my office, I would sneak in the back door. I'd go in my office and I'd keep the light off because I didn't want anybody to see me. I didn't want anybody to talk to me. I didn't want anybody asking me questions. I just wanted in and I wanted out because I was in so much pain and I was in such a dark place and I was so depressed. It was not a fun place to be, but it was a normal place to be. It wasn't unusual for someone who lost their mom. It's not unusual for someone who loses their dad or their brother, their sister, their child, their grandchild their friend, their in-laws, normal, but it sucks. I'm tell you, it sucks. You have a lot of guilt around, like when you go out, when you are to a place where you think you can go out to happy hour, you can go out to dinner with friends and you do that and you find yourself having fun. Mm-hmm. You stop yourself sometimes and then there's this guilt that kind of comes in and you're like, I'm mourning. I shouldn't be laughing and I shouldn't be having a good time. And you stop yourself and you start feeling some guilt around having a good time because your loved one isn't there with you anymore. That brings you back into a depression or a continued depression But it happens and there is an awareness around it. So some people don't go and do anything and they're not good company and they're not around people because they're afraid to have a good time. They're afraid to laugh again. They don't think that they should laugh again. I remember way back when in the 60s and early 70s when people died, I'm I'm Italian, Catholic, well, brought up Catholic. I'm not Catholic anymore. But let me tell you about mourning in the Italian Catholic culture. My grandmother endlessly wore black. Never understood why. She lost several kids, lost my grandfather, yada, yada, yada. And that woman was in black all the time. And I later learned that when someone dies, you wear black for a year You don't turn on the radio for a year, and you don't watch TV for a year. Isn't that crazy? You go into a full-blown morning, full-blown. And I remember when my Aunt Connie died, my dad came in the house, and there were eight kids in the family at the time. My Aunt Connie died in 1974, I believe it was. Maybe it was 1970. I don't remember. I was in seventh grade or sixth grade because my grandfather died the following year. Anyway, there were still eight kids in the house. And I remember him coming home one day and we were sitting in front of the TV watching TV. And he came in and turned the TV off. My mother said, what are you doing? He said, my sister just died. There's no TV. There's no radio. There's no 
anything were my sister just died. And my mother said, John, they're kids. And we can mourn how we want to or how we feel like we're supposed to, but they're kids and you can't do that to them. And so she turned the TV back on. And I remember hearing that conversation and just kind of looking and wondering about all of it. And, and I'm sure there were conversations around it as we grew up and what that was about and why they did that. I mean, back then, well, probably before then, before funeral homes, people used to be laid out in their homes. Can you imagine? Can you imagine somebody in your family passing away, having their body in a coffin in your house and having visitors come see them, give their respects, say their goodbyes, going to bed at night with that person in your home. Oh, I don't know if I could do that. I think it would scare me and haunt me. Not that the people that have passed before me scare me, but something about that just freaks me out a little bit. We isolate ourselves a lot during times of loss, which causes depression as well. And the isolation is not healthy and it's not good. So if you know somebody who has just lost somebody that they're close to, a family member, don't leave them alone. Don't leave them alone. Check on them. Call them. Drop by. Bring them a cup of coffee. I think I've had this conversation before on this podcast of some things that you can do to help the person. I'm going to tell you, depression is really, 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 really hard. Depression, if you've not experienced it, I hope you never do. It's a physical feeling. It just takes over. I remember I was working for the church. I got up on Monday morning and I'm driving to church. And this was right after my separation. I think my ex-husband left in October. This was in January. I guess I was overwhelmed. Very glad he was gone and we were getting divorced. No regrets around that, but just the reality of what was going on fact that I was a single mom of four kids working at a church making a thousand dollars a month it's kind of scary and I remember driving to work and I just started crying uncontrollably and I had no idea why because nothing really specific happened but I just know that the tears just kept coming and coming I went into work and my friend Yvonne was like what's going on I said I don't know I can't I can't get control of this and I tried to work and I sat at my desk and I just cried some more. And then the DRE of the program came in and she says, I think you might need to go home. You're in a really bad place right now. Just go home for the day. Get yourself together and we'll check on you. And so I did. I went home and I stayed in bed and I cried and I cried and I cried. Just before my kids came home from school, I would get up, I would come downstairs, I would do what I needed to do for them, help them with their homework, get them dinner, whatever it is that needed to be done. 
They'd go to bed. I'd go back upstairs in bed and I would cry all night. And I'd cry in the morning and I'd get up and get them off to school and I would hop right back into bed and I would cry all day. And I just had nothing in me. I had nothing in me. I didn't know what to do. Thank God for my kids though, because if I didn't have them here, I don't, I wouldn't have had a reason to get up. I wouldn't have had a reason to get out of bed, but they were my reason. They were always my why. And I was able to get up and get out of bed. That was a really bad depression. That was a real bad place. And I remember Francis calling me and, and asking when I'm coming back to work. And I said, I don't know. And she said, you need to get your shit together. She told me, she said, you've got responsibilities and you've got kids and you can't stay depressed for very long. And whoa, I was angry with her. I thought, who, who are you? How dare you talk to me that way? And I hung up the phone and stayed in bed a little bit longer. <laughs> kids got home. And then the next day, I, I was out of work for a week. But after she called me, I, and, and I think the timing was where it should have been. Otherwise, it could have probably driven me to another place. But the timing of her calling me was was pretty good because I remember waking up the next day and saying, snap out of it, snap out of it. You've got stuff to do and you cannot stay in this state for very long. I was able to pull myself out. I was able to get back into life again. And it was a short period of time. It was like five days of really bad. I was in a really bad place. But after she said that something snapped and I started thinking about it. And I'm not a weak person. And it was a very unfamiliar place for me to be because I'm always plowing through everything. And it was dark and it was tough and it was lonely and it was scary. So you can experience that depression in a lot of cases, in a lot of circumstances, and a lot of situations. So when you feel that coming on and you're in a place where you're depressed after a loss and somebody's passed away no one it's normal no two it's okay three it's natural and if you stay in that place for any length of time get some help let somebody know who's close to you what you're dealing with and what you're going through there's got to be at least one person that you know that you can confide in, that can know how bad things are for you so that they can help you know when enough is enough in a sense and when you should seek help because you don't want to go down a spiral to where your depression is so bad that you just don't want to live anymore because a lot of people who get to that place will kill themselves and you don't want that to happen, obviously, but you don't know what else to do. And it's, it's hard. It's hard. So grief is not easy. And for many people, like I said, it's a lonely time. And you may be experiencing some of this. You may not have experienced it yet or, at all. Just be prepared. And when it does happen, you can kind of have that. Ah, I remember her talking about this. And and process it, get through it, and hopefully you won't be in it 
for a really long time because it's hard. Let your feelings come and go. Understand that they are a normal part of grief. You can't change them, but you have to experience them in order for you to move past the pain and the hurt and the difficulty. You may find your feelings change abruptly and unpredictably. And you go from depression to anger, from anger to resentment, from resentment back to sadness, from sadness back to denial. These stages, just because you've been through, say you've been through five of the seven, holy cow, doesn't mean that you're not going to go and experience one of them all over again. So normal, that's our word is normal, normal. It's all normal. Just when your friends think you should be getting on with your life, a long period of sad reflection, you'll likely take over you. It will likely overtake you. This is a normal stage of grief. So do not be talked out of it by well-meaning outsiders. Encouragement from others is not always helpful to you during the stage of grief. During this time, you finally realize the true magnitude of loss. When you hit this point, it's almost like hitting rock bottom. It depresses you. It isolates you from yourself and your purpose. You reflect on things that you did with your lost loved one. You focus on memories of the past, which is okay and normal. You sense feelings of emptiness and despair, and that's just really, really hard upward turn is as you start to adjust to life without your loved one, you become a little calmer and a more, a little bit more organized. Physical symptoms lessen and your depression begins to lift slightly. You'll go through all of these things. And again, they're normal. If they seem to linger, that's when you really need to get some help. It's, again, waves. I hope this episode helped you, and I hope you got something out of it that I think depression and sadness are the toughest, in my opinion, out of all the stages of grief. I think that you stay in it a little bit longer than the other stages of grief as well. And it's such a physical emotion, such a physical emotion. Again, if you need help, reach out. If you need someone to talk to, let me know I'm here. I'm not a therapist, but I can listen and I've been where you're at. If you know someone that can benefit, please share this podcast. And if somebody needs in there, if you need a safe place to go to be able to be a part of a group, Join us on our Facebook Raw and Real page with Linda Piazza. Thank you so much for being here this week. Next week, we are going to start talking about coming out of it. Some of your stages are also stages of let's get to the other side. So reconstruction and working through your grief, acceptance and hope, that's your seventh stage. So next week, we're going to talk about reconstruction and working through and start focusing on ways to work through it so that you can actually start having a joy-filled life. 
Again, thanks so much for being here. My name is Linda Piazza. You're listening to Raw and Real Podcast. We're glad you joined us. Thanks for joining us this week for another episode of Raw and Real. If you like what you heard, make sure to subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app so you get notification of all new episodes. 